Today, we're reading from Exodus, and we'll be starting in Exodus uh, 5, reading through to um, chapter 6. And there's this, there's this moment that God is interacting with Moses, and one of the things that struck me as I'm reading this is that now, when I, when I want to know how does God deal with his people, I can go back and I can see Adam and Eve way back in the garden. I can see Noah. I can see Abraham. I can see Moses, the children of Israel. I can see the kings of Israel. I can come through the prophets. I can come all the way up into the, the 12 apostles. I can see how God is interacting with his church. Then I have 2,000 years of church history, and we have considerable writing where people are talking about how God interacted with them. And so with, when you look at all of that history, I can, you know, I can be dealing with something and I can read something about George Mueller and say, wow, that is exactly what I feel like right now. That is so on point. I can be reading uh, Hudson Taylor and be like, wow, that, yes, that exactly, uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, I can go back even farther to the origin and the church, early church fathers. And every so often there's just a little bit of, of humanity and life that shows up in their otherwise stilted writing because of the way the translation works. And so, um, and I will recognize, oh, that's how God interacts with us. But when Moses was coming into Egypt after having run away and now he's come back with Aaron, God has spoken to him and he's having these interactions with God. He didn't have as much history that he was pulling from saying, this is how God interacts with his people. And so I was just contemplating that. If he has the history of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if he knows about Joseph, if he knows about, and there were probably other people that, he, that walked with God that he would have heard things about potentially. But much of his childhood he spent in Pharaoh's court instead of sitting around the fires of the Hebrews. So he might've missed a lot of the accounts that he otherwise would have had. And so, this interaction that we're about to read with comes right after the first encounter with Pharaoh. So we'll start reading in Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, and I'm going to read down through um, chapter 6, verse... Well, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 13. So let's start Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So now I have this example. So I know that if I'm dealing with a wicked ruler, that if I come and give him the word of God, chances are he will become even more wicked, that he will respond in a way, because I know Moses and Pharaoh's interaction. Moses hasn't had this example yet before in history that when you bring the word of the Lord to a wicked ruler, that that wicked ruler um, can, have, can either harden his heart or God can harden his heart. He doesn't know this. This is, so he's experiencing this first time, this first time around that he's going through this, going, God, I went and told them what you told me to tell them, and look what they did. It's worse now than it was before. And so at this point, Moses can make a few conclusions. 
He can say, see, this is what you get for trying to serve the Lord. Or you can say, as Moses did, Lord, why? What's going on here? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of, this, of his land. So the so Lord says to Moses, just wait. It's going to happen. Strong hand, strong hand. It's going to happen, okay? Verse 2 of chapter 6. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So then Moses goes on to speak, and the children of God, the children of Israel still can't hear because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. But I wanted to stop and look at this moment uh, in verse 3, um, Exodus 6, verse 3. God is speaking. He says to Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And so if you look at this, the, the word God there is Elohim. Almighty is the, what we would call Shaddai like in El Shaddai. Um, actually, the, the word God is actually, it is just El Shaddai because it's the four, 410. It's the, the, the 430 uh, in Hebrew is, is Elohim. And so El is the shortened term for God that is sometimes used. It's almost, it almost feels like a nickname except that it's not. It's like it's another term for God. Um, and he says, but by my name, Jehovah or Yahweh, I was not, known to them. So I wanted to look at this moment for a bit because I was like, okay, so what were the names of God that, how are, how is God known to the patriarchs up until this point? I have met people in my life who have, um, you know, they come to the, to the New Testament and after reading through it, they have determined that we should only ever refer to God as Jesus. And it's Jesus only. Baptize in the name of Jesus. Uh, pray in the name of Jesus. Um, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything's Jesus. And they won't say Holy Spirit or Father or any of the other words. I've also met people who have become of the persuasion that you should only ever refer to God as Jehovah. And so they will go through the entire Bible. In fact, this is, and, and they will replace every time. And they'll just say Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. So what has happened is we have a very specific text where different names of God are used. So we start with Elohim there in creation. And so I wanted to just read from the Strong's here, my, the, the, the word for Elohim 
In Hebrews, this is the Greek. Uh, in Hebrews is the Greek. Oh, great. Uh, in Hebrews, the, the Strong's word for it, number is 430. And so what it says in my Strong's here, Elohim is a plural God's in the ordinary sense, but specifically used in the plural thus, especially with the article of the supreme God, occasionally applied by way of deference to magistrates. Um, and that used by way of deference to magistrates, God is speaking to Moses later. He says, you will be Elohim to Pharaoh and Aaron is going to be like a prophet of yours. And so he uses it in that sense, like you will be as God. And so the what's, Fascinating to me, it says the plural, um, sometimes as a superlative, angels exceedingly, God, God, or goddess, godly, very great, judges, mighty, spirit. So there's different ways this word is used. It's a masculine plural noun meaning God, gods, judges, angels, occurring more than 2,600 times in the Old Testament. This word commonly designates the one true God, and it's often paired with God's unique name, so this would be in the Hebrew, the number 3068, it's Jehovah. So you'll see Lord God. When the word is used as the generic designation of God, it conveys in scripture that God is the creator, the king, the judge, the Lord, and the savior. His character is compassionate, gracious, and faithful to his covenant. In fewer instances, this word refers to foreign gods, such as Dagon, it might refer to judges or angels as gods. Although the form of this word is plural, it is frequently used as if it were singular, that is, with a singular verb. The plural form of this word may be regarded as in, indica, intensive to indicate God's fullness of power, as majestic to indicate God's kingly rule, as an allusion to the Trinity. The singular form of this word occurs only in poetry. The shortened form of the word is 410, or L. And so what we find is that in the creation account, we have Elohim, which is, and I love the point that, that was made in the, in the description there, that it's, a, it's referring to the point of the Trinity. So we have God, one God, but we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is one. The Lord our God is one God. And so this is the word that is used to refer to God most specifically. Now, we also have in this passage, so just... Um, we just read 4.30, and so the other, the shortened version is 4.10, when it's El, like as in El Shaddai. So let's go, I'm just going to go read that one. I just had a sudden memory that a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, I stood here behind the pulpit and said, anytime that I start reading descriptions of words in Hebrew or Greek, that means I must have had a bad week and didn't have enough time to study or something. And I'm like, wait a minute, I said that right here four or five years ago, and then this week I was really busy working on our engine, and, and I'm doing it again. What is this? What is this? So, but I thought this was, where we're, where, where we're going today, I thought was really powerful. So 410 is the word L, strength, as an adjective, mighty, especially the almighty but also used of any deity. God, God, Emmanuel, mighty one, power, strength. It's a masculine noun meaning God, mighty one, hero, and it can be either God as in the one true God or God as in lowercase g-o-d. Mighty one, hero. This is the, one of the most ancient terms for God, 
God or deity. It appears most often in Genesis, Job, Psalms, and Isaiah, and not at all in some books. The root meaning of the word mighty can be seen, and then it goes down. It says it's occasionally used in other places. But what I wanted to focus on today um, is that, that it literally is strength, mighty. And so if you look at, um, it's not used here, but the, in, in Jehovah or Yahweh, we also have the shortened form of that in 3050, which is the word Yah. And so you have people like Elijah, who are El and Yah, and it's so the Lord, he is God. So if you think of it, the mighty one is God. And so there is, a, there is an interesting thought when you look at the way different scriptures put together different names of God. And so that's what I was doing here. So we have one more to go. 3068 is the, because he says, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. So let's read 3068 in the Hebrew as well. See, when I'm looking for words back here, I have more time to think while I'm waiting to talk. So that might be why I remembered what I said about me digging up uh, Okay, 3068 says, Jehovah, the self-existent or eternal, Jehovah, Jewish national name of God. God, he, Lord, and you can compare it to 3050 or 3069. It's a noun meaning God. The word refers to the proper name of, of the God of Israel, particularly the name by which he revealed himself to Moses, which is what we're reading right now. The divine name has traditionally not been pronounced primarily out of respect for its sacredness. And until the Renaissance, it was written without vowels in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, being rendered as capitals Y-H-W-H. However, since that time, the vowels of another word, Adonai, have been supplied in hopes of reconstructing the pronunciation. Although the exact Derivation of the name is uncertain. Most scholars agree that its primary meaning should be understood in the context of God's existence, namely that he is the I am that I am. That's from Exodus 3.14. The one who was, who is, and who always be. Older translations of the Bible and many newer ones employ the practice of rendering the divine name in capital letters so as to distinguish it from other Hebrew words. It is most often rendered as Lord, all caps, but also as God or Jehovah. And the frequent appearance of this name in relation to God's redemptive work underscores its tremendous importance. Also, it is sometimes compounded with another word to describe the character of the Lord in greater detail. All right, so a lot of times it is put together with another word. But here we have, so we have in chapter 6, verse 3, it says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to, to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai, but by my name, Lord, Jehovah, I was not known to them. What's fascinating when I started looking is most of the time when Moses speaks to the Lord, like back in chapter 5, verse 22, when Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, what he's saying is Adonai. And most of the time when you read, at least the ones I, I was skimming through looking at the different ones, like when Abraham speaks to God, he says Adonai. And so they use this word Adonai, Lord, um, and then, or Elohim, when they're talking about the Lord. And then... The Lord himself uses the name El Shaddai. He uses the name uh, Yahweh or what we say Yahweh or Jehovah. And so it's fascinating to me to think in terms of how do we refer to God? Because in my own life, I remember as a little boy, we would talk about uh, in, in the 
in, in our Amish dialect, our word for God was gutman, which just means good man. And that was our, that was our sort of vernacular word. The church word in German was gut, which would be like God. And then we had Jesus, Jesus. And so, if, and you would say, and most of our prayers would be in the nomen Jesus Christus. So we'd have like Jesus Christ, we'd have that in there. But what's, I, I remember as myself, as a child, like growing, there was a certain awe about the names of God. And I would think of like to say Gutman, you had to be very careful that you weren't uh, joking or being silly. You wanted to always, and it was, kind of awkward to even say for, my, for me growing up. It was, and I remember meeting with my, uh, we were at grandma's house and my cousin Mary, was, she's a couple years older than I am, and she was talking with great confidence about Jesus and just very out there. And I remember thinking that I don't think I could talk about Jesus like that. Now her father had been reading her some stories. Now she was also the one who kept referring to Jesus as he, and shattered my early childhood perception that Jesus was a girl. Um, because our first puzzle of Jesus, the picture we had, was obviously long hair. I mean, there was a beard, but there was long hair. And kind, generous, helpful, loved children. Obviously a girl. So, so it was, it was uh, quite a shattering to me when she kept referring to him as he and him. And I'm like, I think I was six at the time. I'm like, but... And I don't remember how, I don't know if I challenged her on it or asked her for clarification, but that was the day that I had my little world rocked. I, I don't even think up until then that I ever really thought about it. I think just in my mind, I had always assumed, you know, in my house, my mom was the gentle, kind, caring for children one. And my dad was the one who went out and worked hard and did amazing hard things. And I had somehow, I had gotten stuck with that image. So my cousin Mary corrected that for me at grandma's house. But I remember the way she would talk about Jesus kind of scared me how easily and freely she used the word. Today, she's still Amish. I am not. And so I sometimes think maybe I would scare her the way I talk about Jesus now. Um, but there is, a, there is something about someone who is familiar with God. Um, that the way you refer to God and the way you use the names of God is different from someone who is either afraid of God, uh, ashamed of God, ashamed of their ideas of God, uh, who is in rebellion against God. There's different ways. I mean, we, we hear the name of Jesus used as cussing and swear words. We hear the name of God being used in the same way. But we're in a point here in Exodus where Moses comes, and it says that the people themselves are in anguish of spirit. I think Moses also had some anguish of spirit because how everything's going bad. And he said, Lord, Adonai, why have you brought trouble on this people? So I wanted to read for us Adonai as well. It's the Hebrew word 136. And then, so Adonai, an emphatic form of of 113, which is ad motha, probably if they don't actually, no, that's the word, wrong word here. Uh, 113 
is Adon, or shortened Adon, from an unused root meaning to rule, sovereign, controller, human or divine. So it's like the word husband, lord, master, owner, sir. Compare also names beginning with Adonai. So it's a masculine noun meaning lord or master. So if you think about in the New Testament when they would come to Jesus and they would say master or lord, it was a similar idea in the, just the terminology is that it was the word saying sir, master, lord. Um, so now we're, let's see, verse, I mean word. I'm looking at Adonai, number 136. A masculine noun used exclusively of God, an emphatic form of the word. This word means literally my lord. It is often used in place of the divine name, Yahweh, which was held by later Jewish belief to be too holy to utter. This designation points to the supreme authority or power of God. The word was often combined with the divine name to reinforce the notion of God's matchlessness. All right, so there's just a phrase in here where it said, held by later Jewish belief to be too holy to utter. And I wanted to, to think about that in the way I've just been talking about how we interact with God. It is fascinating to me that if I don't truly know the Lord, uh, but I want to appear good, that I'll be very, very careful how I use the names of God. Um, I've been around people who were not believers, but who would take up offense on my behalf if someone else used the name of God in vain. They would be like, oh, you can't do that. He's a pastor or whatever. And I'm like, what is that to you? Like, you go get right with God first, then, then we'll talk. Like, anyhow, so, so I, I find it fascinating the different ways that people interact with the name of God. And so for myself as a kid, not knowing, how, not knowing how to interact, it took some time later. And the revelation that I had in my middle teens is very similar to what God is trying to say to, to Moses here. And it was this. We were reading through um, Matthew or Luke as a family. And I can't remember the exact, I should have looked this up. But it's the part where it says, do not be afraid of, of them who can kill your body, but be afraid of the one who after you're dead can throw your soul into hellfire or something like that, right? So the final judge. And, and this was, and my dad, as we we're reading through, he says, stop, he stopped and said, so who is this talking about? And I just said it, I just blurted it out. I'm like, that's talking about Satan. And because in my mind, Satan had all this power to throw me into hell and it was just a lot, it was scary. And so the whole family disagreed with me. And they were like, no, it's talking about God. It's talking about Jesus, the final judge. And I'm like, and so I know that it was within about a year from then that I finally came and surrendered to Christ and began to understand the power of God. God is, when it says almighty, when it says he's mighty, he is. He is almighty. This is not, it's, it's cool that that's his name, but it's also who he is. He has, when, when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, he literally meant all authority had been given to him. And so there is not a person on earth that will not have to bend the knee before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so as a human being who comes from a long line of people who have rebelled against God and have each had to repent and turn to God, as an coming from an Amish lineage where we kind of were separate from the world, 
but we were we were we we felt like we had the authority to make the rules of what was right and good with God. As an American who rebels against too much authority, all of these things were against me to understand who God really is and how powerful and mighty he really is. And so Moses, I'm thinking of him, you know, I'm looking at my historical, my uh, social, I'm not sure what the right word is, my context of growing up. So where, you know, my family, my community, my country, where I'm coming from. Moses shares the same thing with me in that he is, a, uh, he is one of the sons of Adam, so he has that that rebellion in him. But then he also has been, he's been treated special at, in, in Pharaoh's daughter's house all this time. But then he was greatly humbled after he tried to vaunt himself. And so now he's coming back. And I don't know up until this point, like, yes, he is obeying God, but I don't know if he understands who God is. And so what God is speaking to him is trying to help him understand who he is. And so Moses is being told by God. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And so he's, he's, he's saying, I, uh, verse 7, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So he's, he's telling you, I'm going to do this. In verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, strong hand, twice. He uses the word strong hand. So we have in the Psalms, memories of this, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, God delivered Israel. And so this is what's about to happen, but God is speaking to Moses. But he references Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's go back and look at Genesis 15. Uh, we'll read the first eight verses. Genesis 15, 1 through 8. Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord, that's the word Jehovah, Yahweh, came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord, Adonai, God. And that word there, I believe, is um, Elohim. So it's, unless it's Jehovah, I'm sorry, my, my, it's not perfect, my uh, interlinear here. But, so Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my own house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord, Jehovah, came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars as if you are able to number them. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, Jehovah, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So the reason I wanted to read this is this is, the, this is, the, this is part of an account of Abraham, of Abram, but it's also showing that the name of Jehovah is used in the account of Genesis. And this is important for, for later here. Then he's, verse 7, Then he said to him, I am the Lord, Jehovah, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And so if, uh, so the concern, some people think, well, maybe when 
say Moses or whoever was writing this down, that they would just put in the, they would interject the name of Jehovah since it says that they didn't really know Jehovah. Uh, why, you know, why is this? But in this, it says that the Lord said to him, he said to him, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. So verse 8, he says, he said, Lord God, that's Adonai um, Yah, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, and they go into this whole process of the covenant, and we see that in this time frame, the prophecy is given of Egypt and the children of Israel being in Egypt. The 400 years is mentioned here, and so we have all of this set up here with Abraham at this point. Then if we go over to Genesis chapter 17, and we start again in verse 1, it says, when Abraham, when Abram, not yet Abraham, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. So normally we would see this as El Shaddai, now it's Shaddai El. It says, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And so then it says Abram falls on his face and so this whole thing is happening. But look at this name, Almighty God. Because this is the, the El, the Shaddai El. I mean, this is my Almighty, Mighty One. So this is twice he's telling Abram, he says, I am the Almighty, Almighty. I am the Mighty One, the Strong One. And so Abraham is dealing with the fact that he needs a child for an heir. Moses is dealing with the fact that Pharaoh is not listening. And so God uses the same word. He says, Shaddai, or El Shaddai. And he says, but this is the thing. We see in Abraham's life, God coming through powerfully, giving him a son. Uh, all of this happens the way God tells him. It takes time. It takes way more time than Abraham and Sarah thought they had. But they, God uses that. And it's an amazing time frame. So then we come to Moses, and God is telling him, says, I appeared to Abraham. And we just read the account to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, as the mighty, mighty God. That's what he says. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Jehovah. And so, as I was pondering about this this week, I thought about several things. One is to know someone, to actually interact with someone, like in a, on a personal level, there are people whose names I know, but when I meet them, I don't know what their name is. <clears throat> and then there's other people who I have known so long and so well and so deep that no matter where I meet them, I know their name. We can just talk wherever we are. And so I, I think about, you know, like if I am, it doesn't matter what part of the globe I am. If I turn around and I see Stacy, I know that's my wife. I know her. But there are other people that I see, I'm like, that face is really familiar. And I'm thinking, did I, did I meet them at the film festival? Did I meet? And so um, a couple weeks ago, I was at Panera Bread. And so I keep seeing the guy at the table over there. I'm thinking, I think I know him. I don't know how I know him. He hops up, walks over, says, hey there, and starts chatting with me as if I know him. And I'm thinking, so I'm, I'm working in my mind. I'm working and working. And he, and he was like, well, I was at church with you guys. I'm like, you were at church. And so I finally made the connection. They, are, uh, they were considering moving here. They ended up 
not quite moving all the way down this far. They were coming from farther north. And so they had visited here. They met with us for lunch or supper one night at the house. We chatted, had a great time, loved their family. But at Panera Bread, I had no context. I was like, I, I don't know. Who. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I was going through so many rolls of faces and names. I'm like, I, I'm just coming up. And he was calling me by my name, Pastor Joseph. And I'm like, hmm. I have no name and no context. And so this will happen to me where I will be so out of context with someone. But there are some people that no matter where we are, I will recognize them. And so if you think about that in terms of our relationship with God, if God is a stranger to me that I have met once or twice, and then I'm out and about doing my daily life and God is at work, I'll be like, huh, that's interesting. I almost recognize that, but I don't recognize it as God. And so with Moses interacting with God, God is trying to put something in place here. And this is, a, this is actually a huge truth that we struggle with a lot as humans. We don't know quite how to quantify it. So that now we even have doctrinal differences about how this is. But Moses is there and he's trying to understand something. See, Moses at one point killed an Egyptian then he got sent, he, he ran from Egypt, he ran away, he was feeling guilty. Why? Because he was guilty. He had taken something into his jurisdiction that was not his. And so then he was headed out of Egypt, he spent all that time over there. So now who is Moses? He spent enough time away, is he really one of the children of Israel? Is he really one of the Hebrews? I mean, he's spending time with other descendants of Abraham, so you know, he can kind of fit in here, he's okay. But is he really still one of the Hebrews? Is he still one of God's chosen people? And then God shows up to him in the burning bush and says, look, Moses, yes, you are one of the Hebrews. I have been at work in your life. From day one, when you were a baby, I've been preparing you for something. I'm working in your life. And Moses says, uh, you probably better choose someone else. And God says, actually, um, since before you were born, I've been working on this. So you are going to go back and you are going to go talk to Pharaoh. And so what's happening right here is from a human perspective, we see God Almighty interacting with a man and the man seems to have free will to be able to choose different things. And so what happens is when we look at this account, in order to make sense of it, some of us within the church say, you know what it is? God has already ordered all of these things, has already preordained the steps that Moses is going to walk in, and everything that's happening in Moses' life, God has put there on purpose. So, Moses, so God made Moses kill the Egyptian just in order to do all this, all this stuff. And some of us are going, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. God is powerful. He is mighty. And at that point, we agree. And so we say, God is mighty, he's powerful. Moses is a man, he's weak, he's sinful. And so Moses comes along and he does things that he should not do, but God is able to redeem that and to change that and use it. So God comes and says, Moses, I know you made this horrible mistake back here, but I have been with you. I have been walking with you. I've been helping you. And so this is a point of contention uh, within the church where there's a bit of a misunderstanding. Sometimes in, a, in, in our day, we use the word sovereignty um, to try to talk about this. Uh, we've used words like predestination. Uh, we've used, I mean, some people just are honest and use words like fatalism and other stuff like that. And so, and then there's people that just mock it all and say there's puppeteering involved. And, and so there's just a lot of different things. What do we do with the fact that God knows 
every part of my life history, and every time I turn around, God is present in my life and is wanting to do something. And so on a personal level, going back to the knowing God, if I don't know the Lord, every time something good comes out of something bad, I'll be like, wow, that's amazing. Not expecting that. But if I know the Lord and I'm interacting with the brokenness of the world and I come around some dark, broken corner of humanity and I see God's hand at work, I'm like, yes, Lord, you are doing what you do so well. You are mighty, almighty God. You're all powerful. You can do this. This is amazing to me that you are even here. And then I go to some other spot where the dregs of humanity are hurting themselves and I find God at work, God redeeming someone. And I say, wow, God, you are here also. And it's, it's amazing because now I'm beginning to recognize that God is able to work anywhere. And this is what God is working with on Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to know that no matter what you do with your life, no matter what decisions you make, I am working with you also. And I have something I'm wanting you to do. And so even though you went and killed that Egyptian, I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to use you and I'm going to still bring you back here, okay? And so Moses is about to see something. So we, we get all of Exodus, we get Deuteronomy, we get all of these, these, next, these books, Leviticus, all of that. But all of it, is part of God showing Moses that he is the almighty, mighty God and that he is able to save with an outstretched arm. He is able to save with, and he is able to rescue them with an outstretched arm. And so this is God and this is what he wants to do. And so when I think about, well, what did God do with Moses? Well, he did, I mean, with Abraham, he did a very similar thing, but it says here, by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. And so, you know, there's the day when God comes and meets with him. Uh, we see Abraham interacting. He uses the word Adonai a lot. He's, like when, uh, when they're going down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, Adonai, why don't you stay here and eat? And so we see this interaction happening. I think Moses, I mean, I think Abraham had an amazing relationship with God. I, I think he got to see and experience incredible things. But there's something that Moses is in the middle of that God is trying to speak to him. And it's not just for Moses. I think it's also for the children of Israel. But I think it's also for us, the people of God. And it's the fact that El Shaddai, the mighty one, is not just mighty, but he is God, the creator God, but he is our God, and he is able to rescue us. He is able to save us. He is able, he establishes his covenant with us, and he does it in such a way that, you know, with a, with a human covenant, you've got two parties, and if either one of us flakes out, it kind of destroys the covenant. But when God himself makes a covenant with himself that involves us, well, he can keep his word because he is El Shaddai. He is the mighty one. He is also our God, Jehovah. And so when I think of this, I, I think of throughout scripture, the different prophets and different people interacting with God in different ways. 
and then throughout the church history, different people, and how many people have gone to the grave. And here's, here's, here's a, a, gone to death, and, and I'm, this is a specific point I'm trying to make, is since the apostles have walked the earth, there have been so many people who have come, who have repented, who have believed on Jesus Christ, who have been baptized, who have then met all kinds of difficulties, and God does one of three things with us. When we cry out to God, like Moses is crying out to him saying, Lord, why have you brought us here? Why is it worse now than it was before? Why did you do this to us? There's one of three things that God will do. So one is through his might and his strength, he will pull us out of the scenario. So with the children of Israel, it gets to the point eventually where he pulls them out through the Red Sea and they're, they're escaped. But he leaves them there for a season. And so there is something that God will sometimes, he will either pull us out or he will give us the strength to go through or he will simply call us home. So there will be times when there, and this has happened many, many times, even now uh, in our day and time, uh, there's in certain countries, um, Afghanistan being one of them, China being one of them, and several others where there is, there is a, definite opposition to the gospel where, where they are okay with killing someone if they will not submit to the state or submit to their own ideas. And so if they persist in following Christ, they will be willing to take their life. And so you think, okay, so here's a Christian, here's a child of God who's crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, this looks impossible. What am I supposed to do? And so sometimes God pulls us out and we escape. Some, and, and this was phenomenal when I was reading through some of the early Anabaptists, uh, the 15, or the, the later Anabaptists, the 1600 Anabaptists, as they would be in prison, they escaped out of that prison so many times. Like they need, someone needs to redesign that prison because people, they would escape out of it. Just like sometimes 15, 20, 30 people at the same time would all just escape and be gone the next morning. You think, okay, if I was in charge of that prison, I'd be a very bad person prison keeper if that was, but, but God can take us out of a scenario. He can take us through a scenario or he calls us home. And in all three of these, God is mighty. He is not just Elohim, the creator God, but he is Yahweh. He is our personal God. He is also for us as we consider who Jesus is and what he told us in his names, that he is our great shepherd that he is the door, that he is the way. I think of the, you know, when I'm, in, when I'm facing something difficult and I'm praying to God for deliverance, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the door. And I'm, I don't know where that door is going to go, but I'm here and I'm looking for that door. And so sometimes that door opens, Jesus, the door, as I'm walking with him, and he takes me completely out of the scenario. Sometimes he takes me through it and, gives, and walks with me as the good shepherd. And sometimes the door opens, um, and, and, I'm, and we're in glory. Now, I don't know, uh, I recently saw, so KB is one of the guys who got really famous on social media back during, uh, in 2020. And so what he would do, he has the whole thing where he, um, someone would be like trying to do something that do it the long, hard way. And then he would, he would watch the video and he'd shake his head. Then he would go and recreate the scenario and do it the normal way. For instance, um, I remember one of the first ones I saw was a, was a park bench and someone had dropped their keys through the park bench and so they had this little device in their purse that they could reach down in between the bars and reach the keys and pull it back up. And so they were doing this whole thing. They made this video about it and KB looks at that and says, 
And so he goes and recreates it. He gets off the park bench, reaches underneath the bench, picks up his keys, and then he does this, like that. So this is what he does about everything. He like has this. So more recently, people have taken to showing how to defend yourself using various martial arts moves or stuff. You know, so if someone sticks a gun in your head or whatever, here's how you can do this. So he's watching the video sees all the movements, so then he goes and recreates it. So it's like he sits there, gun in his head, he remembers the moves, he grabs the gun, and then immediately, beautiful clouds, bright lights. <laughs> and so, and, and so he's, he's kind of like, the point that he's making is like, you can't totally learn any of the disciplines from a video, right? Just watching someone else do jujitsu doesn't make you a master. So watching some, you know, it, it, you have to actually practice these moves. And so it's, it's a good, it's a point well taken. But I think about that. We are praying, we're asking God, please deliver me. And, and God says, I will be with you. This is what Jesus said, all power has been given to me, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And behold, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And so when we face something very difficult, very extreme, sometimes it's a slow buildup. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it's been 400 years in the making, as in the children of Israel here. But we're in the tight place. We're in the difficult place. And as we're trying to, to find our interaction with God, we will pray for one thing, Lord, deliver me. And we think, get me out of here. And God might say, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door. He might say, okay, here's the doorway out, and we walk out. We might walk through the doorway, and suddenly clouds, and you know, we, we, we die. And, but he, was he faithful? Yes, God is able to be faithful in this. And so part of our true understanding of who God is, is to recognize that he is the creator of the whole universe, that he is the almighty, mighty God, and that he is our God, and that he can deliver us with a strong hand, with an outstretched arm, and that he is the Alpha, the Omega, that he is the beginning and the end, that he is, he is writing a story, he is giving an account of something, and that he is the King of Kings, he is the Lord of Lords, he is the final judge, he is the Redeemer. And so when, when we are interacting with God, it's nice to know the names of God, but it is better to know his presence. So that when I walk into the auto parts store, when I get off of the plane in some foreign country, when I'm driving down the highway, when I'm interacting with my neighbor, when I'm having a phone call uh, with a relative and, it's, and, and we're talking through difficult things, no matter where I am, that when the presence of God is there, I immediately recognize him. Ah, the Lord is here. He is doing something. So in the same way that I can get to recognize a human person anywhere, I want the context of God to be everywhere. So that I'm not going, I have no idea. I mean, I think we've met before somewhere, but I really, hmm. You know, I've never, I've never really talked with you in this context. I don't know who, no, I want the context to be that no matter where I bump into God, I can recognize that it is God. And I believe this is part of what is happening because we will see from here on out in Moses' life, he's always interacting with God. There's once or twice that he just flies off the handle without talking with God and he pays dearly for it. But he interacts with God on a high level. 
And so the application that I am taking to my life is that with Moses and the Almighty, and he says, he says he's, the Lord says to him, I, but by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. I believe this is what God is wanting to work in Moses' life. He says, I want you to know me. Yes, I am mighty. Yes, I'm Yahweh. Yes, I'm your creator. I want you to recognize me and to know me. If you think of the, the biblical idea of being known by someone, it means that there, seems to, there needs to be an interaction. There needs to be an exchange. And so the names of God that you might know or think about, like when, when you think of, 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 I remember the banners that we'd make when we would say the Lord our banner, Jehovah Rafi, we'd have all the different names of God and we, we'd do it for a children's program that we were doing. And it was, it was awesome. You could, you could get to know all the names. You could sing the song. You could do all of that. But if you didn't know God, it was just so many, what are those words? Are they Hebrew, Greek? I don't know, but there they are. And I can say them all. And I can check off on my list that I, that I finished my assignment. But there's something more. God with an outstretched arm, with a mighty hand, is wanting to do something. And whether we go down the path where we decide that God has preordained every move that we do, or whether we go down the path of saying, I am a child of God, and he has set me here, and he is allowing me to explore within these parameters, and as I'm walking with, he wants me to start to recognize him everywhere and to see that he's at work so that I see the evidence that God can redeem this, he can redeem this, he can redeem this, he can redeem any and all of it. And so every scenario, wherever I come, no matter what happens, that my heart response can be, Lord, what are you doing in this? What do you want me to do in this? Because when I despair and think that God is not even on the scene anymore, then I am, then I am going to be saying, Lord, at the time I needed you the most, you're gone. But when I recognize that God is everywhere, that he is mighty, that he's interacting with me on every level, that's powerful. And that way, if I'm working on, if I'm writing something that's supposed to be trans, uh, talking about the truth of God's word, whether I'm having a conversation with someone, whether I'm playing with the boys, whether I'm fixing an RV, whether no matter what I'm doing, I can be interacting with God the Father and I can know him in this way. So as we go through the rest of Exodus, I think we will begin to see, we will continue to see Moses interacting with God, the Almighty God, the powerful God, and we will see that. And it is a really, really neat relationship to think about. But I just want to say that I don't think it's unattainable for us. I think it is within the realm of the common everyday Christian life that no matter what happens, people complain, we can talk to God. He will provide through a rock in the wilderness. Uh, if the enemy is coming in like a flood, what should we do, Lord? And he says, well, I want you, and, you know, in Moses' case, he says, send, send Joshua out to battle and you stand there and raise your arms. And so he does that. And so we have this this image of Moses interacting with God over and over and over again, and it's pretty special, but so are we called to a very special walk with the Lord, where the Holy Spirit of God abides within us, comes upon us, 
equips us, flows through us. God wants to be known by us. So much so that the worst thing he says to those who are being condemned into hell is, depart from me, I never knew you. He wants to know us. He wants us to know him. He wants that relationship between us. So when I think of Moses and the Almighty, or the mighty Almighty, El Shaddai, I also want to think of us with the Almighty. But he's more. He is our Lord. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is able to rescue us. He is the captain of our salvation. And not only that, he is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is in so many ways more than what we have yet experienced. And so no matter what you have experienced with God up until this point, what is hard to grasp is the many ways that we can approach God because he is high and lifted up. Because the angels speak in his presence, glory, holy, 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 all the time. Because he is so exalted, he can feel so distant at times. We need to understand the importance of coming into his presence. We need to understand that he is not just capering around, waiting. Like This is the, this is the fun thing I was reminded of this week, too, is God is not just waiting. Is anyone going to invite me into their presence this time? Like God is everywhere. He's already there, but we can come into his presence. We can say, Lord, can you bring me into your presence? And there's just a difference in thought. Is, is either I am coming into God's presence or I'm saying, I'm summoning him. Lord, come into my presence, please. And so there's a difference in how we interact with God. And so when I see God as high and lifted up, that's powerful. When I see God as walking with me, as inter- communicating with me, that's also powerful. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are God and that you have called us to yourself. Lord, you have revealed yourself by your outstretched arm. I think of what you did through Moses and how we still talk about that. But Lord, you've done so many things. as You've done all things well, Lord. By your might and your strength, you have been the redeemer of your people. Lord, you've brought us through things. You've brought us out of things. You've, you've called us home in the middle of things. And we are grateful that we get to know you. So I pray for each of us here today and just ask that you would give us that awareness that you are God and that you are with us and you're doing something. So even when Pharaoh is hardening his heart and seems to be fighting you, Lord, that even in the middle of that, we would recognize that your hand is at work and you're doing something and that we would not despair. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.